One of the prayers that we constantly have as an administration for this college is that the Holy Spirit would bring revival to the hearts of our students. And I'm not talking about just a gully washer moment. I'm talking about where uh, a Christ-like spirit everywhere abounds. Everywhere abounds. And I would like to ask you in these early days of this semester to pray with me toward that end, that we would have at West Coast Baptist College a Holy Ghost-sent revival, that God uh, would do something through you uh, in this place and in this time uh, that would be used of God in bringing revival to the campus and to the regions beyond. And I want to speak to you about what that is like. James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. My grandmother used to say uh, that uh, if you don't want any rotten apples, you need to stay out of the devil's orchard. And we need to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Then verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Let's pray together. Father, many in this room have never seen real revival. Perhaps they've had a day or two or a week or two in their life, but many have never seen it. And Lord, in this Laodicean church age where so many Christians really live a very worldly lifestyle, they claim that you're their Lord, but really you're not. Father, in this college, this semester, I pray that you would bring about a true Spirit-sent revival. And I ask you, Lord, to give us a hunger for it. Lord, I believe you could spark that in this chapel service, but I believe you could also put such a hunger and thirst in our hearts that we would not be satisfied until it came. So, Lord, create that hunger and that thirst, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The preparation for revival is the preparation of the heart. On the farm in Colorado where our family's from and where I worked a lot of summers, you would not dare plant the seed unless you first prepared the soil. It's vital that we have hearts that are prepared. Now, students, if we would voluntarily prepare our hearts, then so oftentimes God can work because we prepared the heart. But I have seen many times students that did not prepare, students that were negligent, 
And suddenly it took a great trial in their life to break up the fallow ground of their heart. I pastor people like that and sometimes the people in our church are very tender and they're repentant and they're asking the Lord to work in their heart. And sometimes people have a hardened heart and it takes a car accident or an unemployment or it takes some tragedy in their life before they really are hungry for the Lord in the way they should be. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, the prophet said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed in wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. The heart is the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The heart is the innermost being of a man. And God speaks to our hearts in this passage today. And God calls us from the heart to turn to Him. I wonder this morning, do you have a heart for God? Years ago, we were beginning our very first building program. It was the North Building. And I was preaching messages about raising funds and buildings and preaching from Nehemiah. But as the building program began, I began studying and preaching a series of messages on the word heart. And actually, the first book I wrote as the pastor of this church was a book entitled, A Heart for God. Because I realized that if we just built structures, and if we just emphasized having outward standards, but neglected the heart of people, then we were missing the main building project of God, which is the heart of man. Now, we have rules here because we want our students to be distinctive in their lives, and uh, we're training future pastors and pastor's wives and Christian workers, and, and it's important that we have a right testimony outwardly. But man looks on the outward, but God looks where? On the heart. And so, as we begin this passage, we read in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. The cosmos, the world system, to be a friend of the world is enmity with God. It is an indicator of a heart that is not a heart for God. Uh, in uh, the Gospels, in John chapter 8 and verse 23, uh, Jesus said, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. If Jesus is in your heart, one of the theme songs is, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Now we can enjoy sports and we can enjoy uh, all of the beauty, uh, we can enjoy God's creation, but fundamentally the world's values, the world's system, the world's immorality, the world's adultery is not something that we're passionate about. We have a different set of values that comes from the Lord and from the change that He has made in our hearts. And in verse 5, the Bible says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You see, when you got saved, God took up residence in your heart. Sometimes we say it that way, don't we? Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? Would you like to ask Jesus Christ into your heart? That's the way we say into your innermost life. That's the way we speak about salvation. 
And the Holy Spirit of God comes into our heart and He desires to have control in our lives. And the flesh pushes against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And God is constantly working and He'll work on your heart this semester because that's where He wants to reign and where He wants to rule. Now if we will have revival, if it will be from the heart, I'm not talking about conformity to the rules. I'm not talking about figuring out which shoes to wear and how to cut your hair. If we will have revival from the heart, then I believe there will be three key indicators that that has begun. Three things to search for, to desire in your life. First, we must have a heart of submission. Submission. Now, let me ask you a simple question this morning. Do you consider yourself to be a submissive person in the sense of submission to the Lord, submission to the authority in your life. How many of you would say, uh, yes, I consider myself to be a submissive person? Let me see your hands, all right? Uh, Not all of you are raising your hands, right? How many of you say, I am submissive as the Spirit leads me? Sometimes my first response uh, isn't always a quick submissiveness, but as the Spirit leads me, I am submissive in my spirit. How many of you can say it that way, all right? How many of you are just flat-out rebels? Okay, what are you doing here? (laughs) My thinking would be that most of you have, at some point in your life, experienced a season of submission to the Lord, or you wouldn't even be here. Can I get an amen to that? You wouldn't even have come here. By the way, I'm not beginning this message like you're a bunch of reprobate rebels. Uh, I'm beginning this message with the concept that At some point in your life, you've been submissive. But when revival comes, there will be such a yieldedness and such a submission to the Lord that as He is moving, I mean at the slightest impulse of the Holy Spirit of God, you will ask forgiveness, you will give forgiveness, you'll not speak evil against someone, you'll witness, you will have a quickness to do what God wants you to do. So verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. All right? Submit yourself therefore to God. Now, God wants you to have a heart of submission, and it begins with a submission to God. We must withdraw our will and be submissive to his will. The word submit means to place under. Now, I'm going to give you a little, a little side note here. I believe people that are truly submissive to God will be submissive to the authority that God puts in their life. Okay. Uh, look up here. Some of you guys in the back have had your heads down. Some of you basketball players. I'll, I want you to look right here at me. If you have a submissive heart to the Lord and your father says to you, son, I want you to take this to your mother or do this chore for your mother. It comes naturally. How many of you would agree with that? Okay. If you have a submissive heart to the Lord and Dr. Rasmussen says, uh, uh, young man, we don't wear um, docker shoes to chapel or tennis shoes to chapel. If you're a submissive person to the Lord and God has put ordained authority in your life, you may or may not understand that. There's a lot of, we don't expect you to understand everything. But if that's, if that's what the vice president says, you don't roll your eyes. You just say, yes, sir, thank you. 
That's the response of us. By the way, until you can come under authority, God will never put you in authority. God is looking for people who can take orders so that then he can one day use them in giving orders. Now, can I, can I just share a little, a little thought with you just for those of you that are thinking, man, I am, I've got a long ways to go. When I was a freshman in Bible college, I had a long ways to go. I think Dr. Getch had a long ways to go. I came back from Korea. My parents were missionaries there. Uh, I was in the States by myself. I wasn't really happy about a lot of different things. I was struggling in my devotional life. I had a type A personality. Uh, I didn't always like people telling me stuff like what to wear or what time to get up or, you know, where to sit in chapel. I was kind of wanting my independence. But over the course of my time in Bible college, and might I say this, partly because of the girl that I dated, if you're dating a girl that's a rock and roller or a rebel, she'll take you down. Or vice versa. But because of the preaching in chapel, because of right relationships in my life, God began to mold my heart and I began to repent of my rebellious spirit. It was a spirit that I had in high school. Uh, I struggled at times with going to Korea. I had some victory about it when I was there. But I didn't always quickly want to rebel uh, or to submit. I wanted to sometimes rebel and have my way. And what I had to learn, and I remember learning it at a revival meeting in South Korea, I had to learn that I would never be right with people until I was thoroughly right with God. And I had to come to the place of submission to the Lord before a lot of human relationships really were going to work. The Bible is very clear that we must submit to God. We must have a submissive spirit to the Lord. And secondly, we must resist the devil. We must resist the devil. The Bible says in this passage, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now the devil wants you not to submit to God. He does not want you to submit to the silly rules of the college, like signing in, signing out. He doesn't want you to have the right friends. And the Bible just simply gives you this, this phrase. Uh, it simply says, resist the devil. Let's say that together. Re- the Bible's not hard to understand. Flee youthful lusts. Resist the devil. When, when there is a temptation that comes your way to be like Satan, and Satan in the Old Testament said, I will ascend to the Most High. He said, I will have my way. I will be my own God. When that rebellious spirit is coming up in your heart and you're saying, I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what they say. Then you would be wise to resist the devil and quickly submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that repentance. And it's just a matter of on your way to class, you have a thought you shouldn't have. Someone says, let's go sneak and do this. Someone says, let's do this. And, and, and the devil's putting something in your path. It's just a matter of, even if you thought about it, just stopping right there and basically saying what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
We must submit to God. We must resist the devil. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the tricks of the devil. Look it. He doesn't really have a lot of new tricks. Some of you have a rebellious spirit, perhaps towards an angry father, an abusive father, or an absent father. You've been angry and rebellious about some family situations, perhaps for years, and the devil just stirs that up. There's some anger, there's some resentment. Because of that, some young ladies just just uh, uh, have almost as an idolatry this desire to have a boyfriend. Some young men, a desire to have a wrong relationship with a girlfriend. It's the expression of a rebellious spirit. It's not always the Holy Spirit bringing a Christ-like love. It's a sensual, ungodly desire. And the Bible says, resist the devil. When the devil stirs that anger up, when the devil tries to bring you uh, along a line of thinking that is against the Word of God, resist the devil and submit to God. I do not believe that we should have some kind of submission to men in the sense that if they're leading us against the Bible, we don't submit to men who lead us against the Bible. But we must always submit to God and we must submit to spiritual leaders in our life who are leading us in the ways of the Lord. Why? Because there's safety in submission. Would you say that with me? There's safety in submission. There's no way that I'm going to tell my grandchildren to go play in the street. I'm going to tell them to get out of the street. Why? For their safety. There's no way I'm going to let them watch certain television shows. How many of you know that Hollywood right now is hell-bent on telling children that homosexuality is as normal as anything else? You, you never know what show could come on. And, and I'm going to be very careful about what they watch. And I'm going to sometimes say to them, no, turn that off, right? Sometimes I'm going to say, turn off even the commercial. Why? Because I want to protect those grandchildren. And sometimes you may not understand even the admonitions that you'll receive in preaching or teaching or maybe just some practical admonitions about a dress code. But let me encourage you, there is safety in submission. Okay, And when revival comes, there's this compliant spirit to God. God, I want to be submissive to you. And God, I don't know why you gave me the dad you gave me or why you had me raised up in a conservative Baptist church. I don't know why, God, that you have uh, uh, this teacher as my teacher this semester or this dorm leader as my dorm leader. But God, you're sovereign uh, and I believe that you're in control. So help me to follow your plan. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We must, uh, we must have in our heart a heart of submission. Secondly, we must have a heart of purity. When revival comes, there will be a general sense of submission to God. I've heard Dr. Getch and others illustrate it with something the Lord brought to their mind, that they made a phone call and, and called someone to make something right. That's 
probably not always necessary, but when the Lord is indelibly imprinting that upon your heart, you're going to submit to God and do it. If there's someone at your home church that you have stolen from, if there's some cheating you've done, if you've spoken in a crass manner to someone and the Lord brings these things to your mind and it's, it's a conviction to you and you want God's blessing and you want God's revival in your life, it might be a wonderful thing. It might be fairly cathartic for you and cleansing for you to come to the Lord and repent and call that person and make it right as well. We must have a heart of submission. And then secondly, a heart of purity, verse 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now when you come to God, first you come with cleansed hands. I love the story of the little boy that got up at 8 o'clock and he was just covered uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning from head to toe in dirt and mire and and all kinds of germs and... His mother said, how in the world did you get that dirty so quickly in this brand new day? And he said, well, it was easy, Mom. I went to bed that way. And some of you are going to bed with a life and with a heart of sin. And you're getting up, and there's no repentance, and there's no cleansing, and there's no quest for purity. And the Bible is very clear. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The Bible is very clear that God wants us to keep short accounts with Him. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Resist the devil. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's why the Bible says if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when revival comes, you will not live with presumption. You'll not just sin and sin and sin and say, well, I'm going to heaven anyways. When revival comes, you'll keep short accounts with God. One day, some of you will be married. It will begin by smiling at someone. It will continue by talking to someone. It will then become a date with someone and ultimately, uh, through dating, possibly marriage. For some of our senior men, I would encourage that process to begin rather quickly. <laughs> and when you're married, you'll find that as busy lives go on, it's easy for a husband, sometimes unintentionally, it's easy for a husband to bruise the heart of his wife. It may be that he does something really bonehead dumb, like forgets a birthday. Or it may be that uh, he just kind of quickly snaps and says something, or he maybe uh, was insensitive in another way. But any godly husband, when that happens, knows that he needs to go to his wife and make it right. And he knows that because they are one, that if there's going to be harmony and unity, then there needs to be a repentance and there needs to be a, a unification in that marriage. And when God came into your heart, He desires that unity with you. And the Bible says, quench not the Spirit, grieve not the Spirit. Would you say those two with me? Quench not the Spirit. Okay. 
if the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you said a word in intramurals that you should not have said. Brother Getch didn't hear it, but I heard it, and that kid over there heard it. You would be wise to repent to the Lord, to apologize to that person that heard it, and make it right. Don't quench the Holy Spirit this semester. We'll never have revival if you're quenching the Holy Spirit. We'll only have revival if you're obeying the Holy Spirit and yielding to the Holy Spirit. And so we must have a heart of purity. He says, I want you to come to me in verse 8 with cleansed hands. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's interesting today to watch the church and the terrible struggles for integrity that many members have. It is, it is as though people want a belief that doesn't change their behavior. They want somehow revival without repentance, and you just can't have it without repentance. You can't have true biblical beliefs without a change of behavior. And I've pastored people, and I, I watched them over the years, and some of them begin to slip back, and I'm going to teach the men some things tonight about the DNA of an authentic biblical church. But there's a pull in this generation. People want Jesus, watch me now, but they want their cigar. And they want Jesus, but they want to run out and party in their, you know, in their bikinis and in their wine glasses. And they, they want to be just exactly like the world in the sense of worldliness. And, and they want Jesus, but they don't want to have to witness or anything like that. And they want Jesus, but they don't want anybody talking to them about missionaries. And they want Jesus, but they don't want to go to church for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday revival meeting. We are living in a, in a day where Christians want Jesus, but they don't want Jesus to change their life. So the church is trying to give them concerts that feel like the concerts they used to go to. And humor that sounds like the humor they used to listen to. And they've completely given up on holy living or purifying of hands. And basically, hey, look at whatever you want to do. You know, if you want to you go out there and advocate for gay marriage, go ahead. If you want to, whatever, you don't have to witness. Just, you know, just uh, put, a, put a sticker on your car. But the Bible says that when revival comes, we will not resemble the world. When revival comes, there will be a cleansing from filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfecting of holiness in the fear of God. The modern day church doesn't hear much about the fear of God. Young men, do you have the fear of God in your heart? You know, look at I can walk around you and bark orders like a Marine drill sergeant, and I could. We could set up cameras in the dorms, and I could. We could watch you 24-7. But hey, one day you're going to leave this college, and here's the question. In your heart, do you have the fear of God? I'm talking about an awesome awareness of His awesome presence. By the way, if you can go out and live a worldly lifestyle, break every rule, and uh, have a wrong, uh, have sin patterns in your life, and not feel conviction, I doubt you're even saved. Because saved people feel the convicting of the Holy Spirit when they sin. So we must have a heart of purity if we'll have revival. 
the Bible requires that we have a pure heart, that we would be a people seeking after God from the heart. A study at Rutgers University of 1,417 and 18-year-olds said that 51% of the teens who listened to sexually degrading music became involved sexually. Rock music often robs the heart of purity. Many web-related activities rob the heart of purity. I mean, many boys we've had to counsel in our church that they're just playing a little game of some kind, and boom, suddenly some pornographic something comes up on the screen. When revival comes, you'll flee that. You'll put it down. Satan says, keep looking at that. The devil says, flee that. When revival comes, there will be a cleansing, a repentance of these things. Uh, I remember years ago leading a man to Christ, and on the wall at his house, he had tickets from all these Led Zeppelin concerts and rock and roll concerts. And, and uh, one of the men in our church is a, is a, a trash a trash man. He works for the waste management company. And he said, Pastor, a couple weeks after that guy got saved, I went out and I was putting his trash. Some of it had spilled over and I was putting it up in the truck. And he said, the whole trash can was full of rock and roll music. What was he doing? He was saying, you know what? Now that I'm a Christian, I don't want to feast. I don't want, because what does the Bible say? Whatsoever things are what? Pure and lovely. And if, if they're of good report, think on these things. So what's on your mind, student? What are you thinking about? God says, I want you to have a pure heart. God says, if revival comes, there will be a heart of submission. This isn't isn't difficult. Your heart will be a heart that says yes to God and yes to the authority in your life. When revival comes, there will be a heart for purity. When you see something you should not see or hear something you should not hear, you want to get away from that because you have a fear of God. You have, you have a very clear conscience. You sense the presence of God. And you don't want to quench the Spirit and you don't want to grieve the Spirit. And so there is a heart for purity. And then finally, when revival comes, there will be a heart of humility. Verse 9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You know, I watch a lot of times Christians and, and, and students. The world is dying without the hope of the gospel. People are strung out on drugs. There will be who knows how many abortions just today. There's a, there's a desperate need in our land. And there's nothing wrong with laughing and having the joy of the Lord. But a lot of times just laughing at sin and laughing at this and laughing at that and never really coming to the place with just a humble heart of saying, Lord, how can I make a difference? And the Bible says that we're to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Life, verse number 8 uh, uh, excuse me, verse number 9, is not all about just laughter. God says, sometimes let your laughter be turned to mourning. Sometimes you ought to get sick about the sin problem in your life and the sin problems in our society. You see, God honors holiness. And in verse 9, he tells us that we are to turn that laughter to mourning, that joy to heaviness. Psalm 96 and verse 9 Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. 
God honors holiness. God honors humility. The Bible says in verse 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Psalm 95 and 8, harden not your heart as in the day of the provocation and as in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. God said it over and over again to the children of Israel. Don't harden your heart. Students, look right here. One of the easiest places to get a calloused heart is in Bible college. But you must open your heart time and again and let God speak to you. Harden not your heart. George Washington Carver was the scientist who developed many products from the peanut. And he said, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. You know, sometimes I talk to students, I talk to uh, folks in the church, and you would think they've already memorized the entire Bible. You would think they already know everything there is to know. When you have a humble spirit, every time you come to chapel or church, your attitude is going to be, I don't know what's coming out of the Bible today, I just know I need it. I need it, right? That's the humble spirit we're talking about. Pastor's about to speak, Dr. Getch is about to speak, I need to hear what they're going to say. And let me tell you one of the ways to really know if you're doing any growth at all in the area of humility, and that is by the use of your tongue. Notice what it says as we close in verse number 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law. Do you know one of the surefire ways to show you that you're having a pride problem? Look right here. Is when you talk negatively about other people. And we have that a lot of times, even in good fundamental churches. That's the opposite of humility, and we'll never have revival when we're so full of pride that all we want to do is talk about that stupid guy and that nerd and that dumb girl and that coach, and and we never want to admit we got issues too, right? When you go to the doctor for a physical, one of the first things they do They put a big old lollipop stick on your tongue and they look at your tongue, don't they? Why? They're looking for sickness. One of the first ways to know if you have a pride problem is by the tongue and the things that you're saying along the way. Now, when revival comes, it's going to affect the heart. I thank the Lord for Dr. Lester's doctorate. I'm proud of Brother Lester. I've known him since he was uh, 21 years old. But revival doesn't come from doctorates. I know many, many men with their doctorate. Many, I get resumes constantly from men with PhDs that I'd never in a million years hire because they're glorying in their doctorate, not in their Christ. Revival comes not to the mind, but to the heart. Revival comes not to the mind, but to the heart. Now, the mind must understand certain principles, but they must then be birthed and they must then be developed in the heart. What kind of a heart, Pastor? A heart of submission. Submission to God. A heart of purity. When you hear that song or that word or those people saying these things, you don't want to be around that because you have some innocence left in your heart. 
you have a conscience that's tender and pure. And then thirdly, a heart of humility. A heart of humility that just says, I've not arrived yet. Hey, do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul? He said, I have not yet apprehended. If Paul has not yet apprehended, how many of you are willing to say, I haven't either? My hand's up. I haven't apprehended. So when revival comes, your heart will reflect it in three ways. First, there will be a heart of what? Submission. Say it with me. A heart of what? Submission. Submission. Whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. A heart of submission. When revival comes, there will be a heart of what? Submission and a heart of purity. The things that would just be a laugh off or whatever, those things are not funny anymore. A heart of purity. And then when revival comes, thirdly, there'll be a heart of what? Humility. Not thinking of yourself like you're just Mr. Know-it-all or Miss Know-it-all, but just saying, you know what? I've got a lot to learn. I can learn from that person. I can learn from this chapel speaker. God has something for me here in this.